You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. The countdown is on to Boxing Day as club domestic football returns after the kind of weird dream that was the World Cup, wasn't it? Uh, back down to earth, Selhurst Park on a cold <laughs> December Boxing Day. But we love it. I am so excited to have club football, to have Fulham back in my life and today we'll be looking ahead to that Palace game looking back at Saturday's friendly against West Ham uh, there are some transfer rumours that need addressing and we've got a load of your questions as well I'm double georging on the podcast today first of all George Cooper hello hi Sammy you alright mate I'm good I'm good and George Rossiter hello hello mate how you doing Good. It's nice and easy to distinguish between my two Georges, though, because one has a southern accent and one has a northern accent. So uh, maybe I should go with southern George and northern George uh, <laughs> if I need to distinguish between you for this podcast. Or should I just stick with Coops and George? We'll go with Coops, I think. <laughs> yeah. I, might, I might just start putting on random northern accents for the podcast. It's the first banner in the works. Yeah, really throw me out. Just do, just, just do a whole like um, smorgasbord of accents if you fancy throughout the podcast, George. Just go for it. Why not? Um, well, look, before we uh, do anything, let's do some three-word reviews from Saturday's one-all draw against West Ham on Saturday. Coops, what were the best ones that came in? Yeah, so there have been some good ones, uh, despite it being a friendly. We've had uh, Evan, who's come in, this is from FFC East Africa, with doesn't really matter, I suppose. Uh, yeah, kind of kind of true, I suppose. Um, John Allen with good tune-up. Uh, so that's an American term nice. for, you know, like a warm-up game. Uh, Thomas Gordon, thankfully injury-free. Very good. Jay Sampson with Vinicius actually scored that he did and a fine goal at that. There's a lot of people saying, uh, thankfully, nobody injured, which is, um, which you know, that, that that's the kind of take home from all this. Nick Hewlett with Reed is phenomenal. And uh, Jim with Traffic is bad, alluding to the, uh, the strange strikes, no doubt. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you very much for your three word reviews as ever. Uh, nice to get people warmed up. Uh, for the real three-word reviews, which will be uh, no doubt uh, flooding in after that Crystal Palace game. Coops, what did you make of the West Ham friendly on uh, on Saturday, which you went along to? Yeah, those creative juices flowing. There's kind of like a dress <laughs> dress rehearsal, isn't it? That's what um, it kind of felt like at Graven Cottage yesterday. It was so nice to be back. I missed it. But I mean, there's something to be said. I mean, obviously, when there's not three points on the line, it's a very different atmosphere there. Mm. Almost relaxed, like... 
it was it was weird having it at this time of year as well with the you know the cold you you feel like my brain wasn't quite used to it you know how you know how sometimes when you step on an elevator and it's not moving and your brain kind of like just does that and you're like have that weird kind of like stumble to be an escalator escalator yeah that's what i meant that's how it felt going into craven cottage in december with nothing to play for really it was a bit it was a bit odd and um yeah, yeah you, you can't really get into the game in the same way as much as I was trying to. But um, no, it was, still, it was still great to see the boys play. I thought we played by and large pretty solidly. And uh, it was great to see them get some minutes under the belt. And um, yeah, it, it didn't have the sort of summer preseason friendly fight feel. Mm. And, you know, you're having a beer in the sun and it's nice. And there's that sense of uh, sort of optimism for the season to come. It's like, right, we're, we're business time now, guys. You've had your little break. Let's get back on it. Yeah, pre-seasons don't quite hit the same when there's a train strike. It's like minus one. Um, and also we've already kind of seen half the team this year. It's not like yeah. it's, a, it's not like that normal pre-season where you're like, right, I'm really excited to see how a few transfers might fare up today. How a few players from the youth team might look. It's just like, yeah, it's just like a regular, almost like some meaningless Carabao Cup game. And even they've got a bit more um, to it. It was a bit weird, wasn't it, George? And a bit like kind of almost... Um, a moment for time, really. I don't think we're going to see too many more winter pre-season games like that at, at Craven Cottage. A bit of a, well, I mean, if you were there, one, one for the scrapbook, maybe, because it, it just all was a bit odd, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit odd. And I think you made a good point. I, I wrote down was that, okay, it was it was a friendly, but for, for, for a friendly, the intensity was quite good. You know, I, I, I didn't know what to think when, when I got the match pass on Saturday, but quite frankly, it was actually quite, quite a good game for a friendly I thought and you make a good point with with it being in the winter it isn't like the summer because you don't when we had Palinha and Pereira and you don't know how to judge them but actually when it comes to this game against West Ham and you have you have your Pereiras and your Williams playing you have a preconception of what they can do so you've kind of got something to judge them off which is really quite quite strange but yeah it, it was a weird occasion and I don't think we'll be seeing it again anytime soon. No, it was quite a strong lineup. Um, Coops, mm. um, pretty much first team, other than a couple of notable absentees. So you had Leno in goal, um, who was changed for Rodak actually at half time. Um, you had Tete at right back. You had Tosin and Diop at centre back. Then Reem back from the World Cup uh, left back. Reed and Kearney in the middle. Decadova Reed played as ever. Um, you had Andreas, um, Willian, and then Vinicius up top. So obviously Mitro and Polinia are the notable absentees. Um, neither yeah, of them even made the bench. Robinson um, as well. For that. Yes, Robinson, of course. Um, so a couple of World Cup absentees. A bit random how players then like Ream and Wilson and Dan James, who were also at the World Cup, were involved is there much to read into that i don't think so i think it's just maybe travel times if they were you know if anthony robinson stopped off i i've I no idea to be honest and i, I wouldn't want to speculate but um yeah reem at left back was one I, initially i thought is is marco going for three at the back here and william as a sort of wing back and so that's genuinely what i thought mm. for the first time and then i was like no no it's it's um it's uh, Ream playing at left back. He he almost scored one of the best volleys I've ever seen in my life. By the way, did you yes. catch that? Yeah. That was inches away, and it would it genuinely would have been one of the best goals I'd ever seen at Craven Cottage. Like this absolute thunderbolt from outside the box. It was out um, of nowhere from Tim Ream. It was John Harley esque. 
Yeah, it really I mean, was. it wasn't quite as far out as Harley, but it wasn't kind of, in its randomness and its um, <laughs> velocity. It was kind of similar to John Harley vibes. Um, I mean, the, the technique that he showed, it was like that goal that Paul Scholes got for Man U. It was unbelievable. Well, I mean, obviously he didn't score it, but no, I thought we played really well. We looked tight. And as, as George said, the, the intensity that it didn't, it didn't look like a friendly really um apart from the fact that the stands were kind of half empty but um i thought we looked really quite sharp considering we, there's been you know over a month of of no sort of uh, football for for a lot of these boys and um no it was very it was very positive um there wasn't an, there, i mean there was a sloppy area you could say um kenny getting dispossessed after a sort of bit of a hospital pass from diop um that led to west ham's equalizer but other than that it was the only real moment that i saw where i was thinking oh, okay these lads might just be a little bit rusty um, yeah, it was, it was a good game. It was a good game considering it was a friendly. Um, George, Ream at left back. I, I mean, we've seen it a couple of times this season, Diop and uh, Tosin in the middle. I wondered if this was Marco having a bit of an experiment, probably also was slightly enforced by the fact that he clearly didn't have um, Robinson at left back and Kazawa um, still nowhere to be seen. Uh, yeah, where has that man gone? Well, well it's no, strange because he did score in a friendly a couple of weeks ago. I can't yeah, remember he who he played, but we, we won it 3-2 and I think young Callum McFarlane got the other two, but he was obviously fit enough to play that. Um, but yeah, a bit, bit mind-boggling where he's gone. Um, I think with Robinson and Mitrovic, you maybe have to be conscious with the potential injuries they went to the World Cup with. I know Robinson's wasn't as obvious as Mitrovic's, but Mitrovic was very much a, a doubt going into that first Brazil game. So we, we don't know how Serbia treated the injury because obviously it, 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 for, the, for the next coming months, he's now not their responsibility. So he may have dealt with that a different way to how our medical team might have. But no, it's a bit strange at the players that were there and the players that weren't. Um, with Tim Ream, yeah, I, I think it was more enforced. Um, I know we saw it away at Nottingham Forest and bar the couple of times that Brennan Johnson did him for pace. I don't think it was an experiment or that went too badly, but yeah, probably would prefer to see Robinson back for the Palace game on Boxing Day. Yeah. Um, I think it were the, the interesting thing is, is that with Reem's obvious age, you look at Diop and Tosin as a future centre-back partnership, George. I think it's what we all expected when Diop signed in the summer or was going to sign we were like right well we, Reem's going to be out of the squad and Diop and Tosin are going to be the centre-back pairing now we all know what's happened we all know the former Tim Ream we all know how he surprised pretty much everyone um, with what he's done in the league what he's done with the World Cup I still look at that centre-back partnership and just think I don't know something something doesn't work something just doesn't seem as cohesive without Tim Ream at the back uh, I mean I get your point however all good centre-back partnerships take a little bit of time to embed. And with the form of Tim Ream, obviously they haven't had the chance to play together all that much. You know, it takes, think about um, when, you know, the great centre-back partnerships we've had, the likes of Hangland and Hughes, for the first kind of, you know, uh, half the season they played together, you know, Hangland looks a little bit shaky and and then, you know, it really went on to become one of the most um, iconic and solid pairings that we've ever had. So I think that it's a little bit harsh to be like, it doesn't quite work. I think it has the potential to be one of the great 
centre back partnerships that we've had. I mean, Diop, um, he's growing on me every time that I'm I'm watching him play. Yes, he's still has the odd sort of mistake in him with that loose ball that I mentioned earlier, and um, he's he's just kind of like getting back up to, you know. Um, being a solid starter but um and we all know what Tosin's capable of I think that the way that we're doing it at the moment it, it seems as if Marco's wanting to make that transition you know we're starting re um ream at the moment and it's going to be a gradual process you know we'll, we'll start seeing Diop and Tosin sort of come in a little bit more as as Reem's legs start to go further and further um and I, yeah, I just think it's going to take a little bit of time, but I, I do genuinely believe that they will be a really solid centre-back partnership once they've had a bit of time to to get used to each other and their styles of play. I do think one thing to note is that in the West Ham game, like the friendly, more than we've seen in the Premier League was the the reliance on playing out from the back. Um, I'm not saying we haven't done it this season, but that there was a reluctance to play as directly as maybe we have sometimes in the league. And if we're going to focus more on playing from the back, then the one centre-back that I don't trust as much is Tosin. Um, I, I do worry when he's on the ball. and so, Even when he's got too much time, I think he just thinks about the pass he's got to play too much. And he has been caught out quite a few times. I mean, the one that sprung to mind last season was um, at Oakwell at Barnsley away, I think, when he got caught out really badly. And that put us on the back foot in that game. Um, and I think Silver will see that. And I think... Well, before we went to the World Cup break, it did look like Diop and Reem was that partnership that he fancied more than Diop and Tyson. But, well, ultimately we'll see it at, at Palace away what he goes for. But I, I, I think for now I'd stick with Diop and Reem. I think this season is always just going to be a bit of a transition at, at, at centre-back. I think we're trying to get through with good defenders, don't get me wrong, but like Diop and Reem has been working to a point. I think Diop has improved our defence. I don't like two left footers. It feels a bit weird. They both clearly prefer playing left centre back and you obviously can't have both of them there. So there's, it's a, it's an awkward coupling, but it does just seem to be getting us through. And you imagine that if Robinson is fit, I don't see why he wouldn't be um, for, for that Palace game, then then all will be um, sorted. Up front, Carlos Vinicius uh, Coops got his goal. Yeah. He's needed it. Look, only thing that's got to be asked is, does a friendly goal mean anything to Carlos Vinicius? It's not a league goal. He desperately needs one though. Like you saw those games just before the World Cup break and I thought he was better in that Man United game. He made some chances, but he still leaves a bit to be desired. And with Mitrovic's fitness still up in the air, obviously not in the squad for for Saturday, I... I I have a premonition that he will be back for Palace, but we don't know. And we've been kind of caught out a few times before the World Cup. I kind of assumed he'd play against City or United and he didn't. So we do need a Vinicius that's firing and it's a well-taken goal. He um, It's a great cross from Tete and, and he just gets his head on it at the near post. Quite instinct striker stuff, which is what I've always kind of thought that Vinicius had. I'm not necessarily sure he's like the best hold up player. I'm not sure he can replicate what Mitrovic does. That kind of like fox in the box, predatory instinct finishing is is the kind of striker that I think Vinicius is. That was a great goal. You know, he got in front of his man, uh, the header in the bullet header in the near post after that ball from Tete. And if Mitrovic does that, we're like, that's what he does all day long. You know, it was it was a very Mitrovic-esque goal. And yeah, you can only hope it gives him a bit of confidence and spurs him on. I think there is a striker there and I think he can be an important player for us. Obviously, he's always going to be playing second fiddle to Mitro and we know it doesn't work when he plays 
alongside Mitrovic. So he is, you know, cemented in his role as backup. But yeah, I think it was, it was really, it was, it, it, it looked sharp, you know, um, it wasn't, it was a, it was a very, very good goal. And that's bound to give you confidence, regardless of whether it's a friendly or, you know, a league game. And um, yeah, just hope he can kick on and, and um, find a bit of form, especially if he is, you know, starting against Crystal Palace, which I think we should expect. Um, but again, we, there's no way of knowing, is there? Have you heard any, have you heard any sort of reports on Mitrovic's fitness? No, I haven't. I haven't heard diddly on Mitrovic. Obviously, he will have taken time off after Serbia went out, but Serbia went out pretty early. Um, yeah. They were the last group team to, because of the way they were in Group H. So they went out almost at the time as if Serbia had got to the knockout stages because it was the day before the knockouts. But no, haven't heard anything. The only thing I mean, I'll say is I actually think, and, and George Roster, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this. I actually... Slightly disagree. And I think that Vinicius can play with Mitrovic. I don't think this is a Moon is a Mitrovic situation. I actually think that in time, and let's hope Mitrovic is fit, Vinicius can be occasionally a useful option. And I would like to see them play together, particularly if we're chasing a game, trying to get a goal back. Well, so you'd have Mitro as the target man and then Vinicius sort of playing off him a bit like Andy Johnson... Bobby Zamora type. Yeah, without obviously quite the little and large combination. But I think that Vinicius can be a foil to Mitrovic as and when we're chasing games. I wouldn't start that way unless you specifically knew a tactical reason why a team might struggle against that particular setup. I think it would hamper what's gone on behind and the midfield setup and everything we've got. But I do have a feeling because last season, I remember when Mitro and Muniz and, and Marco did it time and time again. He tried the two of them up front whenever we were chasing a game and it just never worked. It almost looked like they got in each other's way. I think that Vinicius, George, might have a bit more ability to be partnered with Mitrovic. We've not seen it yet, but I actually think that's potentially where he could work. I I think system-wise, this year, more than last year, it could make sense because whereas last year it was a very obvious 4-3-3 that wasn't made for two strikers, this year, the way Andreas presses so high, it feels like sometimes it's almost a four-four-one-one with Andreas as nearly a second striker. So actually, bringing the the option off the bench in Vinicius wouldn't be such a huge system change as Mooney's was last season. And and you bring up the point of him being the slightly different option. If we were going back to Vinicius potentially playing on his own against Palace. I think something that I said after the Man City game on the pod was we've we've seen how we play to Mitrovic's strengths, but not to Vinicius's. And you you said about how we could be a very good six-yard box striker. And you think to that game at home to Everton, which finished nil-nil, and I think Mitrovic had a record like 10 shots without scoring. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting to see how a confident Carlos Vinicius would have played that game. I know Mitrovic on another day scores three, but... If we're saying Vinicius can be that good six-yard box striker, you'd have thought in a game like that where we're on the front foot and creating chances, Vinicius would have had a lot more success than he has in games where he's starting deeper in the pitch, such as the Man City and Man United games at the end before the World Cup break. Yeah, actually, that's probably the perfect game where I'm thinking like, if actually, if you brought on Vinicius, Mitrovic clearly like couldn't hit a palm door that day. He was never going to score. And maybe, just maybe, as you say though, it needs to be a 
confident Vinicius. I don't think Vinicius would have done much that day because he's clearly been struggling with some confidence. And that's the hope, obviously, just, just like strikers love goals. I almost think strikers don't really care if it's a friendly, if it's the World Cup semi-final, you know, strikers get a goal and they just... They just elevate. Even if they score a good one in the warm up, I sometimes think that's what a striker needs. So fingers crossed he can take that. And if he does start against Palace, which I, I sound, this sounds mean, I hope he doesn't. But if he does, fingers crossed it will um, it will be fruitful. Just quickly on Vinicius, did anyone see the um, the comment? I can't remember what platform it was on, but um, on one on a social media platform, a, a fan after Brazil played. Um, Croatia's being like, I didn't manage to catch the game. Did anyone know how our uh, Vinicius got off? And it's like, oh. wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong one. <laughs> if yeah. only, if only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor old Vinicius getting knocked out in the uh, in, 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 in the in the quarterfinal. I mean, you say you don't know which social media platform. We can all we can all make it's an Facebook. educated. It's Facebook. We can all make an educated <laughs> guess that it was Facebook. I didn't want to call me. anyone out in particular. It happened a lot in the summer when we signed him, and there was Facebook fans thinking, "Oh, we." signed Vinicius Jr. That's incredible, but no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Annoyingly similar names, very, very different strikers. <laughs> a hilarious front line of Dan James, Alexander Mitrovic and Vinicius Jr. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's a bit of an yeah, anomaly there. It would be a statement of intent from the Khans, wouldn't it? Yeah. If, they could, if they could get him. It would really be a statement of intent. Um, but yeah, anyway, only so much you can say about a one or draw in a friendly against West Ham. Um, only thing actually I wanted to ask Coops is um, where did you sit? Did you take the did you take the opportunity to go into the Riverside? No, I wish I had done. Because um, I have said this would be the perfect time to, but my, my dad... Um, Oh man, he's a, he's a security guard at Fulham, so he got he got a couple of free tickets in the Hammersmith end, which was still a treat for me because I'm normally bound to the Putney end. Which um, the less we talk about, the better. And oh, no, it's fine, it's fine. But, um, <laughs> but it was nice to be back in the Hammersmith end. Um, yes, because I, I sat there for many years um, when I you know back back before my dad worked there. Um, but no, I really I really wish we had gone for the Riverside. Um, it looks amazing. It, every time you see it, it's that like they've made um, they've made a few steps forward. Um, and yeah, what what would be another like? I've just got to wait for um, maybe a, cup, a Carabao uh, cup, cup game. game or FA yeah. Cup game or something. But I will definitely try and get there this season and try not to pay um, a ton for it. Hundred. Yeah, I was going to say, pounds. or you could just like you know go without heating for a month or something like that, <laughs> and um, you might be able to afford half a ticket. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I I I thought that I saw a few people took the opportunity to sit in the Riverside. I still see quite a lot of complaints from people that go there because I think it's still very unfinished and it's still very like okay, I'm paying top whack, but like, can I have some toilets, please, or a few more like catering yeah. options? It's a little bit like I think from what I've been told watching a game in a building site, but. I mean, I'm sure it'll be nice when it's finished. I know on Saturday as well, there was a lot of complaints about the queuing down the the Thames and that the, there was some closed turnstiles and whatnot. So, yeah, it is. It it does feel a little bit unfinished, but I'm sure by the time the full stand is open, that that'll have been worked on. Yeah, it was actually. Um, I mean, I don't normally get excited by construction news articles, but um, there was an interesting article I saw doing the rounds on Twitter about um, the company that um, has done the work on the stand. It's called the Buckingham Group. They're quite a big construction company. And um, they have recorded a loss this year because a subcontractor, a big subcontractor on the stand went bust. And therefore 
Um, that has meant that the Buckingham Group, which took on the big project for Fulham, has now gone into a loss. I think there's been quite a few problems behind the scenes with the construction of the um, of the Riverside stand. I'd be lying if I say I fully understand the complexities of the construction trade and profit and loss and everything else like that. But yeah, um, I've also heard some rumours that like I think that even getting it ready for next season, the full kit out and stuff is going to be a stretch, even though they've had this kind of World Cup break and they've got the summer coming up. I think... I have a funny feeling that like getting it fully ready, all those lounges and everything for next August is still going to be a stretch for the club. I think they've no. really got their work cut out to, uh, to, to get it done. But um seems like they're releasing more and more seats in the Riverside um, for every game that keeps coming up. So they're obviously trying to open it as much as they can, but like, it's definitely, definitely not done. Anyway, also, let's get- Sammy, don't for a minute tell me that you don't get excited about construction. I've seen the look on your face when I'm at your gaff and you're showing me a new concrete that you've laid down. <laughs> I do, I do love my DIY. I do love my, I do love my DIY. Come and see, come and see the new office. Come, I've, I've just put some paddling in. It's, uh, <laughs> it's looking great in fairness. Yeah, um, I, I spend a lot of time doing uh, DIY myself, but I'd say it's slightly different to um, a hundred million pounds um, construction project. But it's not yeah. far off. Um, let's look ahead then. Let's move away from the construction chat to Crystal Palace on um, Boxing Day. Um, George, it's uh, a game that I really just can't call because this is completely uncharted waters. Playing a Premier League game with a month's break, everyone's had a holiday. Crystal Palace didn't have an exceptional amount of players at the World Cup, but they had a few. Obviously, we've had a few. I honestly feel like this is almost like a brand new season that we're starting and everything that's gone before, the fact that we lost our last couple of games and all of that, I think goes out the window. I think it's, I almost think it's a blank slate, this Crystal Palace game and and trying to predict it is almost foolhardy. Yeah, I think I agree. I think it is a little bit starting afresh. I don't think that the last minute defeats to City and United will be fresh in the mind anymore. Um, I know that as much as they hurt at the time, I've certainly forgotten about them over the break. I, th- I think Palace are quite a tricky team to judge. I think that the general consensus is that there has been progress under Patrick Vieira. Um, but yet they do find themselves in the bottom half, which I, I, I don't know, I was a bit surprised when I saw that. I thought from the football I've seen them play that they might be a little bit higher, but yeah, you just don't know what to expect. Um, I, th- I think before the break, the consensus was will give anyone a game and you know the narrow defeats to the, the big team City, United, Arsenal, Tottenham prove that. So you'd like to think whatever lineup we put out, that won't have changed and that we will give them a good game. But to actually predict how it'll go and how, how fitness is and how, how can you compare friendlies and training to match fitness, who knows? But I'm just, I'm just excited for Fulham to be back playing competitive football to be honest. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Um, George, Palace have been very home and away dependent, uh, as in their results. They've been very good at home. Um, they've won their last uh, three in the Premier League. They beat uh, Southampton at home back in October. They haven't had home games since October, Crystal Palace. Um, they beat Wolves 2-1 also in October. They beat Leeds uh, 2-1. Um, I think they've only had one uh, home defeat this year, which oh no, so two home defeats this year to Chelsea and Arsenal respectively, mm. which is which is no great shame. But they've they've struggled on the road. Um, their two games um, before uh, the break was a one 0 defeat in Nottingham Forest. They also lost on penalties to Newcastle in the Carabao Cup. I mean, just historically, 
I always feel like Crystal Palace is a tough trip. The only one that ever stands out in the memory is that that game, the Kasami game, the Sidwell yeah. game, the uh, the Senderos game, the one that no one ever remembers. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Philip Senderos. That's the only time. Other than that, I always just feel like, yeah, Crystal Palace away, 2-0 defeat. That's, that's, that's kind of what is always in my head about a trip to Selhurst Park. Yeah, I'm not filled with confidence. Um, I'm not going to lie. And I think what you said about it having that kind of first game of the season feel where I, I expect we're going to see some crazy results on the mm. match of the day on Boxing Day, uh, which, I'm, which I'm looking forward to. And I guess you just got to hope it goes away. I'm always really fearful of Crystal Palace's, Crystal Palace going forward. They're so quick on the counter and they can just like, you know, I think that they, whenever I've watched them play this year, I thought they've looked really good. And as you said, I'm surprised that they're as low down as they are. Um, it, I mean, yeah, strong at home, proper, you know, vociferous support. Um, the crowd will no doubt be up for it after a, a month of, you know, break for the World Cup. Um, I really, I really can't call it. I can't call it. I, I but I'm not confident. I, I suspect it'll be a really, a really, really tough game. Um, one big thing, George, that is in our favour, Mark Gahey is suspended for this game at centre-back for Palace after picking up five yellow cards. So, I mean, that is a massive boost. Him alongside Joachim Anderson, who we obviously yeah. um, know and respect, um, is is a really formidable centre-back pairing. And, and defensively, Palace have been um, good this year, um, only conceded... Uh, three goals on one occasion, which was away to Everton quite randomly earlier in the season. So generally pretty solid at the back. Oh, they also conceded four to Man City, but like, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, that is a huge, huge boost for us because I think we know his quality and he very easily could have been in the England setup. And actually probably the way that Ben White had to go home, he possibly would have been a decent option at that centre-back. Obviously, no fault of Ben White's that he did go back, but um, still, like uh, he was very much on the border of being in that England squad. So that, that tells you the quality. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the Palace defence line up because obviously normally you'd have Anderson and Gay, but you see Gay's suspended. Anderson, although he's not played for Denmark since the 30th of November and Palace have had four friendlies since then, including him one against Valladolid a couple of days ago. He's not had a single minute in any of them. So then you're looking at the main fit centre-back is James Tompkins and no disrespect to him, but I think that's a big step down from Gahey and Anderson. And there's a lot to be said for a settled partnership of Gahey and Anderson. Admittedly, you don't know who's trained with who during the World Cup break, like we might have had with um, Diop and Tosin. But, but yeah, there's going to be frailties to be got at there, I think, with you know Gahey not only is a quality centre-back, he is their captain. So there's that element of leadership not being there either. So there'll definitely be something to exploit there. And, you know, if if Mitrovic is fit and plays, I'll be a hell of a lot more confident as well. Yeah. And the only other player that really played in the World Cup was uh, Jordan Ayew, um, mm. who who played for uh, for Ghana. Um, I think he had a couple of big moments as well from from memory. Uh, I remember the Ghana games just always being um, pretty exciting. Yeah, uh, you, mentioned that, that, you mentioned that you mentioned that forward line, though. It is how Fulham can cope with with Zaha and Eze um, with Eze kind of on that left-hand side, there's a big battle for, for Kenny Tete uh, to, to keep him quiet. He's always the one. I know that Will Zaha is the star, but I think if you can keep Eze quiet, then you generally can keep Palace quiet. So, so 
Tete and if he drifts inside, obviously uh, Diop and Ream um, will we'll have their work cut out, just uh, just keeping him on, on a short leash. Am I right in thinking Ayu's got a really good record against us? I seem to remember him scoring, like he scored like a load of goals over the over the years. He's the kind of annoying player that probably would have a good record against us. I actually don't know the fact. I don't know. I normally have the stats up my sleeve here, but yeah, I mean, maybe he's I'm definitely- imagining it. I've I've had sort of nightmares of Jordan Ayu <laughs> scoring against Fulham, but he's not. He's not ever scored for us while he's been at Palace. I, I, I did have a look at the head-to-head recently. He's not scored against for Palace. He might have at Swansea though. Yeah, maybe Swansea days. Anyway, there's also two Ayus as well. So uh, you know, are you getting the wrong one? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear right uh, that'll do for the palace preview not a lot to say but i mean it's going to be a good atmosphere um there um i think uh, it's a sold out uh, away end never the best away end always just quite difficult to actually see what the hell's going on um uh, a lot of times but uh, as i say good atmosphere down at palace and um no doubt uh, it will be a, a fun one for for those headings so uh, three o'clock on boxing day crystal palace versus fulham uh, we're going to take a break there afterwards uh, we're going to chat a little bit about the world cup uh, some transfer rumors and a load of your questions get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of tom brady a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here, joined by the Georges, George Cooper and George Rossiter. Um, We didn't mention it at the start. Let's just have a quick word on the World Cup and everything that's happened. Uh, We did our World Cup podcasts throughout here on Fulhamish, but I think after that last one we did, which was after the last 16, when basically all the Fulham players were out. Reem and Robinson were out. The Wales boys were out. Mitrovic was out. There was Polina still left in at that point. Um, but considering he wasn't really getting the minutes for Portugal, it was hardly a talking point. Um, Coops, just generally, what a, what a magic tournament. One that going into it, I was thinking, I really don't want the season to end. I don't want the Premier League to be disrupted. I was I was enjoying Fulham. I felt like it was quite disruptive to us in general because I felt like we were in a good place um, and we were doing well this season. But actually, I've loved every minute of this World Cup. It's been utterly fantastic. And although I would like to see it managed better in terms of like, I would like a longer gap between the seasons, a Winter World Cup, I'd, I'd do it again. There's something magical about Summer World Cup and I'm, I can't wait for the US one and, you know, sell, you know, being on the streets and outdoor viewings and stuff like that. There is something to be missed about um, a Summer World Cup, but actually, all in all, just a magic tournament. Yeah, I mean, the Winter World Cup, it was a proof of concept this time around and it can be done again. I'd obviously take a summer world cup over a winter world cup any day of the week. Yes. But I mean, let's talk about the final last night. I mean, that was one of the craziest games of football I've ever seen. If like top five and the fact that it is a world cup final as well, I was speaking to my dad. I was like, I like genuinely that or the Venice or Hamburg games, the, the most 
entertaining match. I've, it was just incredible. And you have all the whole, you know, Messi lifting the World Cup trophy, thoroughly deserved. The games, there's been more upsets this World Cup than any World Cup in history. I, I, I'm not saying probably, like that's definite. Like you think of Saudi Arabia beating Argentina, Japan beating Germany. There are like so many just crazy results. You take them in isolation, you're just like, what? Um, the football has been exceptional. Um, and I mean, all of the off-field stuff and the controversy surrounding it is is a completely different thing. But if we're talking purely about the the, the football, it's been it's been the best ever. It really has. I think the most remarkable thing about the final and how everyone, including myself, is is calling it one of the best games I've ever watched is seventy five minutes of that game. It was it was completely one way. Argentina were the only team in it for seventy five minutes, and yet you're there an hour later after a penalty shootout, and you just in awe at what you've seen. I mean, for someone to score a World Cup final hat trick and lose, it's just yeah. absolutely incredible. But uh, I'm personally one of those that was just all in on the messy narrative once we'd been knocked out. So to see him lift the World Cup and the celebrations, um, you know, seeing all the pictures in Buenos Aires, it, it was it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. and just um, on England's performance in this World Cup, it was heartbreaking the way we went out. That game was we were chatting sandwich it was genuinely 50 50 flip of a coin stuff and i think that in this england team that we currently have we've got a team that we can be really proud of just just a group of young role models and you know that i've i've i can't remember a side that everyone has been so fully back behind and i personally am i'm happy that southgate has another crack at the whip and has a chance to um sort of win the win the euros and i do think we are going in really strong into that tournament with this kind of the foundations that have been built. You look at our team, it's a really young team. Um, and I think that it will be Southgate's last um, act as, as England manager. I think he, regardless of whether he wins or doesn't win, that will be the last thing. Just um, my hunch off the back of him saying how it's been particularly draining for him. But um, even though we got knocked out in the quarterfinals, you still there was still such a sense of optimism around this England team, and it was one of those is like, oh well, um, you know, it's not as if we've been shit and then like sort of you know gone out with a bit of a whimper. Um, so and then that just allows you to just enjoy the rest of the tournament from a completely impartial point of view, and it, it really delivered. It was it was great. Yeah, I, I, I would obviously you said you're happy with Southgate staying on, so I don't need to get the general consensus. But I think I just think the progress we've made and the the happiness in that camp under Southgate, I'm personally delighted he's staying. I I, I don't know if what what's going to happen beyond the next Euros, but I, I don't think there is a better man to continue taking this squad forward going into the Euros, and I, I think we're going to be one of two or three of the favourites and I'm I'm really excited and it's, it's only 18 months away you know like the fact that the Euros last time got pushed a year back and that this World Cup's been in the winter they've all kind of converged and it's like there's a major tournament around the corner all the time I'm I'm so excited for it yeah uh, to win it in Germany as well could you imagine <sighs> could you imagine the scenes can you imagine the amount of beer Don Betts would drink oh my <laughs> Because <laughs> he was star, he was starved. In, he actually, I say he was starved in Doha. We saw nah. him in Doha. He was not starved of beer. In Doha. <laughs> Absolutely uh, not. He, yeah. he had a he had a. I think we spoke about it on the pub before. He had a, he had a sort of quite extensive Excel spreadsheet. I don't listed. think we have spoken about this on the pod. <laughs> we haven't spoken about this on the pod. <laughs> so we, we can say this him. now. Dom and Dom. So me and George obviously are going to Qatar for work, and um, 
I've said to Dom before, I was like, oh, we're going down there. Um, you know, let's, let's meet up, let's have a beer. And uh, he's, I was like, by the way, do you know any good places to drink? And I literally got a Google doc. <laughs> a Google doc with different areas of like Doha. So it's like West Bay, the Pearl, um, the Souk and all of that. All with like, Happy you know, hour timings, yes, like hour prices, timings. the the lot. I've never it's seen. Ast- it's an astonishing like document it. of work. I was like, this this is incredible. It's like a dossier <laughs> of where to drink in Qatar. So yeah, Don was Don was fine for any of you guys um, wondering. I watched the Wales game with him um, in the stadium, and uh, it was very much Don Betts in his absolute elements. Uh, yeah, England beating, England beating Wales in a World Cup. Um, he was loving life as we all were it was um it was a really really fun time um to crowbar a fulham point into england and what you're chatting about where was harrison reed <laughs> i am coming on to that i'm coming on to harrison reed now look i i was i did a couple of tweets before the tournament saying that you know why is harrison reed in why is cat sorry why is calvin phillips in and harrison reed not in my heart of hearts i kind of knew that Calvin Phillips was obviously fit enough to go. They wouldn't have chosen if he wasn't. And Harrison Reed hadn't really like broken his way in. Maybe if there had been an international normal break at this time, maybe Harrison Reed would have done himself enough to be in the squad and be considered for a friendly, but you can't just chuck someone that's not played at all into a world cup, unless you're Nicholas Fulkrug from Germany, but 18 months now. Jordan Henderson's not getting any younger. We still have a midfield problem in England. Like we don't have enough midfielders, certainly not enough general kind of midfielders doing that job. We saw the way that Henderson was deployed against um, France to kind of control Mbappe on the right-hand side of that midfield. George, I just think now there is a huge carrot for Harrison Reed. Like he is one of like several players. Don't get me wrong. Like he's not like he's up for grabs. He's got a lot to prove still, but what a carrot now. 18 months, Harrison Reed. If you can keep up this form for Fulham, you'll surely get a shot at proving yourself in either a Nations League game or a qualifier or a friendly. I, I just think if you're Harrison Reed now, and now is the time to prove that you can make that play into Germany. I think there is two contributing factors. One is how Reed and we do. Like if we go down again, then you kind of have to write it off, especially if he stays with us. But he's one of those players where he's so consistently good, you don't see his level dropping. So I, I feel like as long as we stay up, his quality himself isn't an issue. And then you look at the squad. We only took six out and out central midfielders to the World Cup. Rice, Bellingham, Phillips, you'd imagine are in that Euro squad, assuming they're all fit. But then you mentioned Henderson's age. I actually thought he was of good use to this World Cup squad. I thought he contributed really well when he played. And I I didn't rate him as much before the World Cup, but you see why he has the trust of Southgate and Klopp. But... In 18 months' time, with age, if, if Liverpool are going, you've seen all sorts of links with Liverpool to Bellingham, to Enzo Fernandes, to Ishmael Benesse. You don't know the role he's going to have from next season onwards. Conor Gallagher, how much is he going to play for Chelsea? Where does his career go? James Ward-Prowse, I mean, a South End, Southampton going to stay up this year. I know he didn't make this squad, but there was a, there was a lot of calls for him to be there for the set-piece delivery alone. That there are going to be gaps in a position that we already don't have many players in. So even in 18 months, there's a big opportunity there. And 
I'd absolutely love to see a Fulham player represent England at a major tournament. I know it's not something you, you don't see it every day, do you? No, you don't. And um, look, I, I still think all those players you mentioned, Conor Gallagher, James Ward-Prowse, they are not the same position as, as Harrison Reed. I think if it's judged that Henderson, but the, the only thing you want, even in 18 months, whether Southgate just wants that experience of a Hendo, wants that person in, in and around the squad, thinks that, you know, Euros, you might just be able to squeeze out the Euros out of Henderson. Obviously, I think the World Cup's gone, but like... Yeah, we'll we'll see. I think I think all Harrison Reed can do is put in performances that put him on the, like that make that basically make it impossible for Southgate to ignore. And certainly, what he was doing in that period just before the World Cup, I think, was at that level. But it was too late. It was too late for the World Cup. So yeah, it'd be fascinating to see. Um, let's come on to some um, transfers. Um, George, you've just written an article for the Fulhamish website. It was out today five realistic right back targets. Now it feels like in this transfer window so far, a lot of the rumors have been the right back area. We know the obvious problem. Basically we only have Kenny Tete that uh, Marcus Silva trusts. Kevin Mbappé did get a run out in the friendly. He got put at left back. Why? I have no idea. Um, I think we've all seen the Kevin Mbappé left back experiments at Spurs and I don't know why he thought, Oh, let's do it again. Um, but anyway, he doesn't trust Kevin and Babu. I think we can be pretty sure of that. So right back rumours are hot off the press. Um, what were the ones that you uh, stuck in the article to give people a glimpse? Well, I mean, to start with, you've got to look at the ones that there is apparent interest in. Um, obviously, there, there, there's reports of potential bids for Rick Karsdorp at Roma. Not sure how I feel about that, but considering I don't know if you've both seen what Mourinho thinks of him, but he said pretty publicly in the press that, Karsdorp is not a part of his squad because of his attitude and whatnot. So that that might not be a rabbit hole that's worth going down. Especially after Mbappé. Exactly, exactly. And then there's the links to Cedric Suarez of Arsenal, which if we can get him in permanently, I think that would be a fantastic signing. I think he's a really good player. Um, I think the fact that he was at Southampton and that he's a rotation player doesn't take away from the fact that Inter Milan and Arsenal have both been gladly having him on their books. In recent years, um, he offers versatility at right back and left back, which is useful when you've got Tete and Kazawa, whose fitness hasn't proved to be amazing. Um, in the article, yeah, that came out today. There was Joseph Juranovic, who's obviously had a great World Cup. I mentioned the you know the Ragnar Sigurdsson thing. Don't buy a player on the back of a World Cup, but I, I don't know if that's maybe a bit unrealistic with some of the stuff I've seen today about Barcelona and Atletico Madrid wanting him for 25 million. So that might be a struggle. There was um, Max Ahrens, who look, I still think that's going to be quite pricey because he's a young English right back. But the, the, the career he's having at Norwich is stagnating a little bit. And Sam Barham has played a couple of games recently. Um, as a bit of a, a Bundesliga nerd, I'd, I'd love Julian Ryerson from Union Berlin. He's kind of been a part of their rise going up. And there was also a mention for um, Aguiar at Monaco, who's fallen down the pecking order a bit. But again, fitness might be an issue there. But yeah, as you say, I, th- I think he's not. he doesn't trust Mbabu from what we've seen so far. And Tete, while... I'd gladly see him play 38 games a season. His body won't let it happen is, is the kind of consensus we've got. So, yeah, I think right back and also potentially central midfield are the two positions we're going to be focusing on this window. 
Yeah. Um, interesting to see where we go. Uh, there is a transfer rumor roundup on the Fulhamish website as well, um, mentioning uh, some of those names that uh, that George just mentioned. Uh, there's a kind of of kind of like more fantasy names in there. Um, Aaron Wambasaka um, is uh, still being talked about where he's going to go. Uh, I mean, it feels like Crystal Palace is the natural destination for for Aaron. Um, but you never know if we can uh, hijack that one. The other one that keeps coming up, Ben Brereton Diaz. I, I don't, I, I really don't think it's going to happen. This is becoming the Jason Kumas of uh, of our recent times. Um, ben Brereton Diaz. Would I love to see it? Yes. Can I see it? No, but um, you never know. But Fulham in a strong position, I think, given our position in the league, especially if we get a couple of wins um, early in uh, December, put that kind of like keep our arm's length away from that relegation spot. I think players will see that as a, an attractive move um, in January, as long as they kind of feel confident that Fulham can uh, avoid the drop. Let's do some questions before we end the show. Um, Sean Burdett starts. I'll go to you on this one, George. He said, with Ream being away and Tosin and Diop training together for over a month, do we think those two may start at centre-back against Palace? Well, I think I said earlier that when you look at how we were playing going into the World Cup, how much faith he has in the ball-playing centre-backs and the worries that Tossin brings there, I think it is more likely to be Ream and Diop with who he trusts at the moment. I, I think a lot of how Marco has managed his side over the last two seasons is if you've earned the shirt, you keep it. And I don't think Ream and Diop have done anything to lose the shirt at the moment. Again, you go back to the point we made earlier, will Robinson or Kazawa be fit? Because if they're not, you'd imagine that Ream will be the option at left-back over and Babu, which leaves little decisions to be made at centre-back, then it would be probably the same back four we saw on Saturday against West Ham. But if if all are fit, I'd, I'd, I'd stick with Diop and Ream for now. I think that's what looked most comfortable before we went to the World Cup. Um, Coops, Terry Wildman asks, are we crazy to think that just staying up now is not going to be enough this season? Is a top half finish a realistic expectation now? I'm not sure I agree with this. I still would take 17th, although it would be a bit of a, it would be a bit like of a naffing and naff ending after such a good start. 17th still enough for me. Still means I'm, I'm <laughs> strutting around in my Bermuda shorts this summer. <laughs> <laughs> happy as Larry. I'm still fine with 17th. I'll still take it. If you offered it to me right now, I'm I'm still having it. I, I don't care about the top half. It'd be, yes, it'd be amazing, but like, so would winning the FA Cup. That's not going to happen either. Yeah. I think if you ask anyone in the fan base, staying up is, is the priority. It doesn't matter how we get there. It doesn't matter whether we, you know, have a triumphant eighth place or we just crawl over the line in the last, you know, last, like, like we did um, in, in the 2007 season um, with that goal against Portsmouth, Danny Murphy had it. If we, like, it doesn't matter how we do it. If we stay up, then there's going to be parties in Southwest Six. And I don't think that, I think that top 10 finish is 100% achievable. And I think that that's, you know, what we should be going for. But, no, I, like to say that it would be disappointing in any capacity whatsoever to to stay up. Then, nah, I, I don't, I don't buy it at all. Um, but I mean, I think that we should push on from where we are now. And as you were saying, in terms of like attracting players, like in the summer, obviously the higher we finish, the more attractive a prospect we're going to be as a football club. And um, yeah, I, I think that I think that we'll, I do think that we'll finish 
just just outside the top half. That's my that's my prediction. But um, yeah, the only the only way that we can fail this year is by going down. I mean, George, it's, I, I look at this table right now, and I I must admit, I, I look at it as almost a not a false table, but it's. I, I'm, I'm, it's, there's trepidation in there. Yes, Fulham are ninth. The headline figure is wonderful, but actually scratch beneath the surface and there was only six points between us and Nottingham Forest to occupy the first relegation spot. This is a tight league. And whilst it's encouraging to have so many sides between us and the bottom, that's probably the, that is the security net right now. That's what makes these couple of games that we've got. Palace away, not easy, but like Southampton at home and, and one of, I think the away games, you know, Leicester away, tougher match than it would have been at the start of the season. We have to pick up this, put some points this Christmas. We have to take advantage because actually our, our fixtures in January are pretty tough once you've kind of got this bit of Christmas out of the way. Yeah. Regarding that original question, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that if we finish the season 17th, above 18th on even goals scored, I'm absolutely delighted. And I know we've set standards that we want to keep going. But as you said, if pa- we're, we're two we're two places ahead of Palace, but if they beat us on Boxing Day, then we're three points behind them and they've got a game in hand on us. It changes so quickly this year because, I mean, going into the season, I was, I was quite confident that about one or two that might go down, especially Bournemouth their 14th there just isn't a bad team you look there's Wolves in 20th who have now got the management of Lopetegui who have got players like Neves Kilman so it it's just such an outstanding quality of a division that all it takes is three or about four bad results and we will be 16th 17th so I'm not I'm not aiming higher than that for now but I love the optimism nonetheless I mean, George, just on that point, I'm going to have a slight counter argument. I, I look at that. The difference the last time we were in the Premier League is that you're looking at the table and you're thinking there is not a single, there's very, there's not a single te- team in this league that we're, that I can confidently say, I think we're better than. Whereas this time, like I look at Wolves, I think that yes, they have the star, you know, players and um, they may have a bit of resurgence under their new manager, but I think we're better than that team. Having seen the way we're playing, the way, the way that they're playing. Southampton, Nottingham Forest, comfortably better than them. Uh, West Ham is a bit of a tricky one because they, they can be streaky. Um, better than this Bournemouth side. There, there, there was more than four teams in this league that I can confidently say that this Fulham side are better than, which is why I'm so confident that we're going to stay up. I think that's the difference between this time in the Prem and last time in the Prem. But to counter that, you've also, I'm, I'm not actively trying to be pessimistic. I just think there's a point worth making that we return on Boxing Day go straight into a January window and they've had, every team's had four to six weeks training. It is a season like no other. It really is. And all it takes is for Wolves to make three or four good signings. Lopetegui changed their fortunes, right? They finished the season ninth when they've gone into this period 20th. Southampton, there's a huge reliance on youth there, but the, if Nathan Jones gets those young players going, up the table they go. Everton, West Ham, capable of so much more than 16th and 17th. I appreciate we're ninth and we've looked so much better than the likes of those teams. But when you've got a transfer window just after a break, as we've said earlier, I I think we're going in completely afresh. And the only way that I'll be confident that we'll be comfortably safe is if 
you know, that first game against Palace, you're seeing the levels that we were at on the first day against Liverpool. Yeah, you got to remember, we've got the same opportunity as, you know, the other team. We've got Mala Solomon coming back from injury. We've got, you know, we, 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 can, we can strengthen ourselves. Um, and we've also had the same break. But I, I, do, I do get your point, George, and it's um, a point well made. But um, I, yeah, I, I, still think, I still think there are more than four sides in this division that we're, we're better than. I, I just think it's fascinating that there's been so many seasons where teams have been cut adrift by this point or the title's been decided at this point. You know, you look at Liverpool in the COVID season, they were so far ahead. But you've got Newcastle in third, Arsenal leading the title race, Fulham and Brighton have put in great starts to the season. The league is so well bunched up and it's all in this one-of-a-kind season. Uh, I don't know whether to be excited or nervous, but I I, I couldn't comfortably predict who's going to win the title, who's going to get the top four, who's going to get Europa League, who's going down. I'm, I'm just completely baffled at what's going to happen from Boxing Day onwards. Yeah. Well, look, uh, it's going to be a roller coaster ride and um, fingers crossed Fulham can just kind of keep their heads above water. That's the thing for me. Just like get some results. You don't need to win every game. Just keep your heads above water. Let those below us keep fighting amongst each other and hopefully you know if, if things go bad for some of these teams in January teams will start getting desperate and that's when Fulham if they can just just stay above the stay in car waters that would be that would be lovely and I think you need one win out of three probably over Christmas in order to manage that if you get four points out of the next three games I honestly think that's enough like if you can do that then you're more than comfortable going into uh, a tough run of fixtures in January. Right. That'll do for the podcast today. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, be really good to get back to uh, to regular business and uh, looking ahead to, to the season. Uh, we've got a special podcast coming up in the week. Um, I did say on the last podcast, it was going to be a Thursday club, small change to the schedule. We're going to be doing a Fulham Christmas quiz. Um, so I'm going to be hosting um, a quiz. Uh, we're going to have... Um, Drew on from Fulhamish and then a couple other people from different Fulham podcasts in a kind of uh, Fulham podcast battle royale. Uh, so it's going to be a 2022 Fulham quiz and uh, just something a little bit different to kind of, uh, you know, uh, have a podcast before Christmas, bit of Christmas um, fun. Are you going to be a um, competitor, Sammy? Or are you taking up the Bruce Forsyth mantle? Very of, much. Uh... Very, I'm very much the Bruce Forsyth here. Okay. Excellent. And Drew, Drew's representing Chris Tarrant was really who I was going for, but you know, if you want to say Bruce Forsyth, that's fine. But I was, I was kind of channeling in a Chris, really. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah. I look forward to that. I'm yeah, looking forward to that. Fun. Um, right. Uh, all we need to do for today's podcast is name it. So Coops, what would you like to go with? Um, there were a couple of good kit related ones that I noticed. Um, there was mint chocolate chip from No Justice, No Peace, uh, alluding to our uh, sort of slightly lurid teal kind of third kit I can only imagine that it was a bit of a marketing ploy to try and not get even our third kit it's our away kit we haven't no played in it yeah it's our away kit I, I mean uh. I don't know why I mean it's the most crazy away kit it looks so similar to white like it's just it's nuts it's yeah, so very, weird very weird but I'm going to go with TJ he said laying the brickwork which is another reference to the kit but also quite nice to like laying you know the groundwork in for the rest of the season so we'll go with that so laying the brickwork for TJ Perfect stuff. Right. Thank you to my guest, George Cooper. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And George Rossiter. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, no worries. <laughs>
<laughs> but we won't be giving you that. Uh, nah, right, no, I'm just, just trying to get myself warmed up, trying to use my uh, Chris Tarrant lines. Okay, uh, we'll be back with that Christmas quiz. But uh, if you don't uh, listen to that one, um, have a lovely Christmas time, uh, wherever you're spending it. Um, and uh, we'll uh, see how it goes on Boxing Day against Crystal Palace. But until then, come on, you whites. You whites. Wonderful. Love.